Section 5 of Dedications. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Dedications by Mary Elizabeth Brown. Section 5 To Royalty. Part 2. Paradisi in Sole. Paradisus Terrestris, or a garden of all sorts of pleasant flowers, etc., by John Parkinson, 1629. To the Queen's Most Excellent Majesty, Henrietta Maria, Madam, knowing your Majesty so much delighted with all the fair flowers of a garden, and furnished with them as far beyond others as you are eminent before them, this my work of a garden, long before this, intended to be published, but now only finished, seemed, as it were, destined to be first offered into your Highness's hands as of right, challenging the proprietary of patronage from all others. Accept, I beseech your Majesty, this speaking garden that may inform you, in all the particulars of your store as well as wants, when you cannot see any of them fresh upon the ground, and I shall further encourage him to accomplish the remainder, who, in praying that your highness may enjoy the heavenly paradise after many years fruition of this earthly submitteth to be your majesty's in all humble devotion john parkinson on publication of this work parkinson obtained from charles i the title of botanicus regius primarius parkinson's book is a description of all the plants and shrubs and bulbs of his time giving in each case a classification under varieties, and ending with the place, the time, the names, the virtues. These last are very amusing at times. For instance, one, virtues of the lily of the valley. The flowers of the white kind are often used with those things that help to strengthen the memory and to procure ease to epileptic persons. Camomarius setteth down the manner of making an oil of the flowers hereof, which he saith is very effectual to ease the pains of the gout and such like diseases, to be used outwardly, which is thus, having filled a glass with the flowers and being well stopped, set it for a month's space in an ant's hill, and after being drained clear, set it by to use. The love apple or tomato. Although the beauty of this plant consisteth not in the flower, but fruit, yet give me leave to insert it here, lest otherwise it have no place, whereof there are two especial sorts, which we comprehend in one chapter, and distinguish them by maius and minus, greater and smaller. Yet of the greater kind we have nursed up in our gardens two sorts, that differ only in the colour of the fruit, and in nothing else. Pomum Andris Maius Fructa Rubro, Great Apple of Love, the Ordinary Red Sort. This greater kind of love apples, which hath been most frequently cherished with us, hath diverse long and trailing branches, leaning or spreading upon the ground, not able to sustain themselves, whereon do grow many long-winged leaves, that is, many leaves set on both sides, and all along the middle rib, some being greater and others less, jagged also and dented around the edges, of a greyish overworn green colour, somewhat rough or hairy in handling, 
From among the leaves and the branches come forth long stalks, with diverse flowers set thereon, upon the several short footstalks consisting of six, and sometimes of eight small long yellow leaves, with a middle prick or bone, which, after the flowers are fallen, riseth to be the fruit, which are of the bigness of a small or mean pippin, unevenly bunched out in diverse places, and scarce any full round without bunches, of a fair pale reddish colour, or somewhat deeper, like unto an orange full of a slimy juice, and watery pulp wherein the seed lieth, which is white, flat, and somewhat rough. The root shooteth with many small strings, and bigger branches underground, but perisheth at the first feeling of our winter weather. The fruit hereof, by often sowing it in our land, is become much smaller than I have here described it, but was at the first, and so for two or three years after, as big as I have related it. Pomum andris maius fructa luteo. Of the same kind is this other sort of andrus apples, differing in nothing but the colour of the fruit, which is of a pale yellow colour, having bunches or lobes in the same manner, and seed also like the former. Pomum amdris minus, fine mala etheopica parna. Small love apples. The small apples of love, in the very like manner, have long, weak, trailing branches, beset with such like leaves as the greater kind hath, but smaller in every part. The flowers also stand many together on a long stalk, and yellow as the former, but much smaller, the fruit are small, round, yellowish red berries, not much bigger than great grapes, wherein are contained white flat seed, like the other, but smaller. The root perisheth in like manner every year, and therefore must be new sown every spring, if you will have the pleasure of their sight in the garden, yet some years I have known them rise of their own sowing in my garden. They grow naturally in the hot countries of Barbary and Ethiopia, yet some report them to be first brought from Peru, a province of the West Indies. We only have them for curiosity in our gardens, and for the amorous aspect or beauty of the fruit. They flower in July and August, and their fruit is ripe in the middle or end of September for the most part. The first is named diversely by diverse authors, for label Camerarius, and others call them Poma, Amdris, Dodonius, or Amala. Gesnarus first, and Boabrinus after him, make it to be a kind of Salanum pomiferum. Anquilaris Anquilara taketh it to be a Lyco perficum of Galan. Others think it to be Glaucium of Dioscordides. The last is called Mala. Ethiopica Parna, and by that title was first sent unto us, as if the former were of the same kind of country. We call them in English apples of love, love apples, golden apples, or amdrus apples, and all as much to one purpose as another, more than for their beautiful aspect. In the hot countries where they naturally grow, they are much eaten of the people, to cool and quench the heat and thirst of their hot stomachs, the apples also boiled or infused in oil in the sun is thought to be good to cure the itch. Assuredly it will allay the heat thereof. History of Cremona by Antonio Campo, 1645 To his most sacred Catholic and Royal Majesty, 
King Philip the Fourth, our master. The present history, sacred Catholic majesty, is adorned with the glorious deeds of two incomparable heroes, ancestors of your majesty, and it is coming to light in a new edition, not being satisfied with the fame won by the first, but aspiring ambitiously to greater fame, so as to be safe from the security of oblivion, and to enjoy an eternal splendour. It therefore has recourse to your majesty, son of the Catholic monarchy, from whose radiance it hopes to obtain the perpetuity which it desires. May your majesty kindly deign to look upon it, and accept it in your royal soul, as a small act of homage to him, who as a sign of very faithful servitude dares to present it, and with most devoted heart wishes that you may long continue to be our happy monarch. Milan, the 1st of January, 1645. Of your sacred Christian royal majesty, the most faithful subject and most humble servant, Giovanni Battista Bidelli. Hesperides, or The Works Both Humane and Divine of Robert Herrick Esquire, 1648. To the most illustrious and most hopeful prince, Charles, Prince of Wales, well may my book come forth like public day, when such a light as you are leads the way who are my works creator, and alone the flame of it and the expansion. And look how all those heavenly lamps acquire light from the sun, that inexhausted fire. So all my morn and evening stars from you have their existence and their influence too. Full is my book of glories, but all these by you become immortal substances. Number 213 of the Hesperides is a charming pastoral upon the birth of Prince Charles. Mertillo announces to the other shepherds the birth of a sweet-faced child, more tender than the childhood of the morn. Amintas asks, But is't a trespass if we three should wend along his baby-ship to see? They decide to bring him shepherd's gifts, a garland of flowers, oaten pipes, and the like. And I, a shepherd-hook, will bestow to have his little kingship know, as he is prince, he's shepherd too. Don Japhet of Armenia by Paul Scarron, 1653 To the king, I will try to convince your majesty that you would do no great wrong if you did me a little good. If you did me a little good, I should be better humoured than I am. If I were better humoured, I should write merrier comedies. If I wrote merrier comedies, your Majesty would have something to laugh at. If your Majesty had something to laugh at, your money would not be wasted. All this follows so logically that methinks I should be convinced by it, if I were as great a king as I am a poor, sick man. From the French. Episcopacy, as established by law in England, not prejudicial to regal power, a treatise written in the time of the Long Parliament, by the special command of the late King, and now published by the Right Reverend Father in God, Robert Sanderson, Lord Bishop of Lincoln, London, 1661. To the Most High and Mighty King Charles the Second, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, etc. Parallel of the Ancient Architecture with the modern, written in French by Roland Frere, 
made English for the benefit of builders, by John Evelyn, 1664. To the Most Serene Majesty of Charles II, since the great Augustus vouchsafed to patronise a work of this nature, which was dedicated to him by Vitruvius, I had no reason to apprehend your majesty would reprove these addresses of mine, if, in presenting you with those antiquities on which that excellent master formed his studies, I intituled your majesty to a work, so little inferior to it, and so worthy to go in paragon with it, and, indeed, to whom could I more aptly inscribe a discourse of building than to so royal a builder, whose august attempts have already given so great a splendour to our imperial city, and so illustrious an example to the nation? It is from this contemplation, sir, that after I had, by the commands of the Royal Society, endeavoured the improvement of timber and the planting of trees, I have advanced to that of building as its proper and natural consequent not with a presumption to incite or instruct your majesty, which were a vanity unpardonable, but by it to take occasion of celebrating your majesty's great example, who use your empire and authority so worthily, as fortune seems to have consulted her reason when she poured her favours upon you. While stones can preserve inscriptions, your name will be famous to posterity, and when those materials fail, the benefits that are engraven in our hearts will outlast those of marble. More encomiums on His Majesty's building achievements follow, rising to the height of comparing Charles to the divine architect. It is difficult, declares Evelyn, not to slide into panegyric in speaking of Charles, and he certainly permits himself to slide very far. In conclusion, His Majesty's ever-loyal, most obedient, and faithful servant lays the book at his feet and craves the protection of that sacred name, says Court, 20th of August, 1664. Embassy from the East India Company of the United Provinces to the Emperor of Japan by John Ogilby, Esquire, London, 1670. To the Supreme, Most High and Mighty Prince Charles II, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, etc. These strange and novel relations concerning both the ancient and present estate of the so populous and wealthy empire of Japan, being a book of wonders, dedicated with all humility, lies prostrate at the sacred feet of your most serene majesty, by the humblest of your servants and most loyal subject, John Ogilby. The Triumphs of the Eagle and the Eclipse of the Crescent Sun Translated from Spanish into Polish by Julian Adolf Swiatchiki. Edited by Matthias Berson on the 200th anniversary of the rescue of Vienna by the Polish king John III, Warsaw, 1885. A panegyric full of esteem to the unvanquished Polish king by Don Joseph de la Vega, commemorating the victory gained by his courage over the Ottoman power thus delivering Vienna from the terrible siege, Amsterdam, 1683. To the unvanquished John the Third, King of Poland, Grand Duke of Lithuania, Russia, Prussia, Moscowa, Samogita, Livonia, Kiev, Padolia, Podlasy, Smolensk, Volhynia, etc., etc. Sire! 
your majesty gave in rescuing vienna such extraordinary reason for admiration such unheard-of occasion for ecstasy that should fame try her best to display her triumphs she will be obliged to acknowledge her inferiority because the only way to render homage to a power which makes one blind by its brilliant rays is by eclipsing oneself what could offer admiration to a noble eagle if not the triumphs of the eagle and what would offer gratitude to the luminous sun if not the eclipse of the crescent accept your majesty these rhetorical flowers which my mind dedicates to your greatness with affection and humility even the romans had a custom to bestow flowers upon the heroes the theatre of namir was filled with flowers and the macedonians throw reefs at the feet of naoc rewarding his deeds with fragrant flowers may the great god of the army and the only master of victories give to your majesty's troops such glorious victories that the enraptured age will immortalize them as great and proud posterity consider them as extraordinary i prostrate myself at your majesty's feet don joseph to la vega amsterdam november fifteenth sixteen eighty three the fall of babylon seasonable reflections on the novelties of rome by b w d d sixteen ninety to the king of england and all crowned heads and sovereign princes whatever it is the advice of the royal prophet to you his royal brethren be wise now therefore o ye kings be instructed ye judges of the earth serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling and the reason of it was because he that sitteth in the heavens had set his king upon the holy hill of zion and as a result of his eternal decree had bid him ask of him and he would give him the heathen for his inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession and as the effect of his royalty he should break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel now the time seems to draw on that this is to be fully accomplished and is it not the duty of the watchman to give the warning before it is too late for what will it advantage to be told of danger when it will not be in your power to prevent it to be minded of the approach of christ's kingdom when his iron rod shall be shaking over you and your power your interests your alliances your glory your wealth and kingdoms all dashing in pieces against one another for if you chance to be of those who give your power to the beast this will unavoidably be your fate both yours and babylon's in one hour to come to confusion but there are among you great sovereigns who seem not to be so much concerned in this those i mean who having left the corrupt communion of the church of rome yet have not fully pursued or acted agreeable to that reformation which is to bring on or succeed the fall of babylon to such is it i have to add that they would please to consider it will not suffice that you are content to be called protestants and enjoy the interest of that name unless you are what the name speaks and it is your highest concern so to be the time growing on when success and victory shall go along with truth and piety etc etc a complete collection of voyages and travels consisting of above four hundred of the most authentic writers by john harris a m fellow of the royal society london sixteen o five 
to the Queen's Most Excellent Majesty. Madam, your gracious acceptance of my late book, which I had the honour to dedicate to His Royal Highness, makes me presume to lay this at your Majesty's feet. The discoveries that have been successively made of the religions, manners, customs, politics, and natural products of all parts of the world will here give your Majesty an agreeable and useful entertainment, and I am sure it will add to your satisfaction to see that they have been chiefly made by those of your own nation. It hath been thought by some a laudable reason for sending our gentlemen abroad, that they may the better learn to value their native country, and this I dare say, that either a man hath actually travelled the whole world over himself, or carefully considered the accounts which those give to us that have done so, he will be abundantly convinced that our own religion, government, and constitution is, in the main, much preferable to any he shall meet with abroad, and especially under the happy influence of your Majesty's reign, whom Providence seems to have designed to make us great and happy, even whether we will or no. The Queen's virtues, her goodness, wisdom, lenity, and so on, are then enumerated. And as these are virtues, madam, which can never lose their just reward, so I doubt not but God will give it you, in a great measure here, and make you the glorious instrument of settling the peace and liberty of Europe on a safe and lasting foundation. The mighty success your just arms have obtained already against the common enemy doth fairly foretell this, and as I doubt not but this is the universal prayer of all true Englishmen, so it is desired by none with greater zeal and earnestness than by Madam, your Majesty's most dutiful and obedient subject and servant, John Harris. Liberty, a poem, by James Thompson, 1738. To His Royal Highness, Frederick, Prince of Wales, Sir, when I reflect upon that ready condescension, that preventing generosity with which your Royal Highness received the following poem under your protection, I can alone ascribe it to the recommendation and influence of the subject. In you the cause and concerns of liberty have so zealous a patron, as entitles whatever may have the least tendency to promote them, to the distinction of your favour. If the following attempt to trace liberty from the first ages, down to her excellent establishment in Great Britain, can at all merit your approbation, and prove an entertainment to your Royal Highness, if it can in any degree answer the dignity of the subject, and of the name under which I presume to shelter it, I have my best reward, particularly as it affords me an opportunity of declaring that I am, with the greatest zeal and respect, sir, your Royal Highness's most obedient and devoted servant, James Thompson. The terms of the dedication are especially interesting, in view of the fact that Prince Frederick's zeal for liberty took the form of sharp opposition to all the measures of his father and of his father's minister Walpole, and that he was at this time completely estranged from his father. His generous encouragement of literature, in marked contrast to Walpole's indifference, brought to his party the support of many of the leading writers, Fielding, Glover, Littleton, as well as Thompson. Although it required a good deal of imagination, to see in the feeble Frederick a true patriot, devoted to liberty, these writers were equal to the task. History of the Literature of the Reign of Louis XIV by Claude-François Lambert Paris, 1751 To the King, Louis XV Sir, 
in presenting to your majesty the history of literature of the reign of your august grandfather i have the honour to offer you the history of a reign as illustrious for letters as for arms a reign not second in the sublime geniuses or heroic warriors in vain greece has glorified the age of alexander and rome that of augustus the age of louis the fourteenth i do not hesitate to say is infinitely superior by the multitude of excellent works which distinguish it by the masterpieces which are every day the admiration of connoisseurs and which will serve for all time as models and subjects for imitation by the greatest masters this age sir has again another advantage in that as it was prepared for by francis i the restorer of letters in france it is equally sustained by your majesty who judges with precision of the merits and talents of all and whose beneficent hand scatters appropriate recompense indeed sir the age which you have made illustrious as conqueror from Anglois to fontenoy and as pacifator of europe to isle la chapelle this age will give a new lustre to the reign of louis the great and will offer to posterity the same wonders to admire i have the honour to be with very profound respect sir of your majesty the very humble and very obedient servant and very faithful subject lambert priest the history of the heavens considered according to the notions of poets and philosophers compared with the doctrines of moses being an inquiry into the origin of idolatry and the mistakes of philosophers upon the formation and influences of the celestial bodies translated from the french of the abbe pluche by j b de freval esq london seventeen fifty two to his royal highness prince george sir the homage i here take the liberty to offer has no other motive than my true zeal for your royal highness and a passionate desire for evidencing that zeal and indeed sir who would not be animated by those sentiments for a young prince born of the two most illustrious personages in europe we already discern their virtues in your looks and shall soon see you copying from those accomplished models become what they truly are the delight of every briton and the admiration of the whole world the book i now presume to offer to your royal highness is no more than a translation of a work from the french whose author has made and is still making himself famous by many excellent and useful productions he particularly signalizes himself herein by rectifying a multitude of false notions which had for many ages prevailed among the learned concerning the origin of the heathen deities your royal highness whose noble aspect though at an age remote from puberty gives presages both of genius and greatness of mind to every beholder will in a short time comprehend the purport and relish the beauties of this history the reading whereof cannot fail of affording your royal highness much pleasure and delight may you sir make the swiftest progress in every branch of science may you closely following the steps of the august persons that gave you birth from their example at length shine with so many excellences that the crown itself may not be capable of adding anything to their lustre these sir are the most ardent wishes of him who has the ambition to be with the most inviolable attachment and most profound respect your royal highness's most obedient and most devoted servant j b de freva bibliotheque of medicio la frentianae catalogus 
1752. To Franciscus Caesar, Emperor of the Romans, Great Leader of Etruria, etc., etc., Antonius Marcia Bistionius, Greetings. Long and often I have considered in mind, O most august Caesar, whether I should offer to your supreme majesty this humble work of my talent, particularly since not less than a period of five lustrums, twenty-five years, had already elapsed since I had taken my hand from the writing-tablet, had thrown away nearly all hope of sending this work forth into the public light, both on account of the magnitude and amplitude of it, my truly slender genius and the weakness of my strength, and also on account of the pedantry of certain people. For all things to which one applies, especially the different ones, require a free and unimpeded mind, lest excellent undertakings scarcely begun grow cold and become abandoned in their very beginning. But as it was pleasing to God, your royal majesty has excited me, who was inert and almost asleep, and so with certain new light transmitted to the eye of my mind, the shadows having been immediately shattered, I felt myself endowed with tranquillity and freedom of action, especially at this time when, by royal munificence, your most honourable doing, I found myself, though undeserving, honoured by the title of Royal Prefect of the Medician Laurentian Library. Then, with a more eager mind and a bolder desire, I put myself to resuming anew the neglected work. You, indeed, in whom envy, ignorance, and other pests of the human race were absent, even as Hercules did in the garden of the Hesperides, after the dragon was killed, have thrown open a free avenue to me, so that I might be able to enjoy its golden apples, manifestly its richest and most precious treasure, for the public utility and the increase of literature. In return, then, for this very great and singular benefice, immortal thanks are due to you from me, which I altogether despair of repaying, even in the least. Now, by chance, may your royal majesty deign to incline your most humane ears to my earnest prayers, by which I pray and beseech you that this little gift of mine you may accept with pleasure, as a token of an obsequious and grateful mind, and may you not disdain to protect me, entirely subdued to you, under the shadow of your eagle's wings, at Florence, February 1752. From the Latin. The British Grammar by William Gray, 1762. To Her Most Excellent Majesty, Charlotte, Queen of Great Britain, etc., etc. Madam, permit me to lay at Your Majesty's feet an essay towards speaking and writing grammatically, and inditing elegantly the language of the bravest, wisest, most powerful and respectable body of people upon the face of the globe, highly distinguished with the additional glory of being the vernacular tongue of the most virtuous, most potent, and most beloved monarch upon earth, a language, madam, which has received fresh lustre from its being now spoken by a queen, the darling of the people, whose tongues joyfully proclaim their gratitude, and whose hearts, united in the firmest and most dutiful attachment, will always exult to hear your majesty express your ineffable goodness and all-attracting affability in the refined and comprehensive English energy, in the manly diction of Britons. If the following sheet should have the happiness to be entertaining to your majesty, 
inexpressible satisfaction will redound to him who has the honour to be with the most profound reverence madam your majesty's most faithful most obedient and most humble servant the author in the library of mr g a plimpton the name of the author has been written in pencil a new geographical and historical grammar wherein the geographical part is truly modern and the present state of several kingdoms of the world is so interspersed so as to render the study of geography both entertaining and instructive by mr salmon london seventeen sixty six to his majesty king george the third and to the british princes and princesses his royal brothers and sisters this new geographical and historical grammar is humbly dedicated by the author thomas salmon history of danish noblemen by tycho de hoffman seventeen seventy seven to king christian the seventh high and mighty monarch most gracious hereditary king and master on this most joyful day the day on which heaven presented denmark in the person of your majesty with the best king and on which a year ago your majesty by public utterance expressed a great affection for your majesty's loyal subjects i make bold to present to your majesty in most profound humility this work dedicated by its author to your majesty's grandfather of blessed memory king christian the sixth the great favour with which your majesty regards the fine arts and the sciences has encouraged me to most humbly hope that your majesty will regard this work with the same favour with which your majesty's ancestor regarded the illustrious and deservedly popular danish men an account of whose careers is contained herein i shall deem myself happy if your majesty will accept this as a token of the most profound and humble devotion with which i am high and mighty monarch most gracious hereditary king and master your majesty's most humble subject and servant anna magdalena widow of sol gotish kipchhaven january twenty ninth seventeen seventy seven a general history of music etc by charles burnley the second edition seventeen eighty nine to the queen the condescension with which your majesty has been pleased to permit your name to stand before the following history may justly reconcile the author to his favourite study and convince him that whatever may be said by the professors of severer wisdom the hours which he has bestowed upon music have been neither dishonourably nor unprofitably spent the science of musical sounds that may have been depreciated as appealing only to the ear and affording nothing more than a momentary and fugitive delight may be with justice considered as the art that unites corporal with intellectual pleasure by a species of enjoyment which gratifies sense without weakening reason and which therefore the great may cultivate without debasement and the good enjoy without deprivation those who have most diligently contemplated the state of man have found it beset with vexations which can neither be repelled by splendour nor eluded by obscurity to the necessity of combating these intrusions of discontent the ministers of pleasure were indebted for that kind reception which they have perhaps too indiscriminately obtained pleasure and innocence ought never to be separated yet we seldom find them otherwise than at variance 
except when music brings them together. To those who know that music is among your majesty's recreations, it is not necessary to display its purity or assert its dignity. May it long amuse your leisure, not as a relief from evil, but as an augmentation of good, not as a diversion from care, but as a variation of felicity. Such, madam, is my sincerest wish, in which I can, however, boast no peculiarity of reverence or zeal, for the virtues of your majesty are universally confessed, and however the inhabitants of the British Empire may differ in their opinions upon other questions, they all behold your excellencies with the same eye, and celebrate them with the same voice, and to that name which one nation is echoing to another, nothing can be added by the respectful admiration and humble gratitude of Madam, Your Majesty's most obedient and most devoted servant, Charles Burnley. End of section 5